This morning I want to begin by asking some questions. How do you view prayer? In your mind, do you think of prayer, for instance, as being reserved only for the religious leaders? Perhaps the elders or the preacher. He can pray, but I really am not uh, one who should pray. Or can I myself talk to God? Is it appropriate for me as just what sometimes people may refer to as an ordinary Christian, someone who's struggling through this world, can I pray to God and God hear my prayers? If so, what should I say? What kind of things should I say within my prayers to know that God is hearing my prayers and responding to them positively? How should I expect God to answer me? What will God do and I pray for certain things? Well, this, e- this morning, excuse me, we're going to talk about in the fourth lesson of the life and times of Elijah and Elisha, we're going to talk about prayers and promises. Part of it will come from the latter part of 1 Kings chapter 18, beginning with verse 41. And then we will talk about 2 Kings chapter 1, and we'll begin with verse 2 there. What our lesson will cover is, first of all, the prayer of Elijah. Then we're going to talk about the prayer of Ahaziah. And then we're going to talk about some principles that we learn on prayer from these men in this study. Let's begin. Let's go back to that passage that Brother Robert read to us just a few moments ago. He read verses 16 and 17. I'm going to pick up with verse 17. Let's read through verse 18. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. Now what do you and I know about Elijah's prayer? From what we read here and what we read in 2 Kings, or 1 Kings, what is it that we learn about it? Well, first of all, we know that it was according to the will of God. You see, God wanted Elijah to pray, but he wanted Elijah to pray a specific type prayer. We learn from 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, Now this is the confidence we have in him, That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we ask anything according to his will. What does it mean for us to say that something is according to God's will? For Elijah it was that it would not rain for three and a half years. The truth is is that God desired a drought to come upon Israel. God wanted to teach Ahab a lesson. But God also wanted to embarrass the worship of Baal. If you'll remember when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, God led them out by the mighty hand and he brought a series of ten plagues on the Egyptians. Each of those ten plagues addressed something 
about the Egyptian gods. The god of the Sidonians, this Baal, was the storm god who brought rain. And so the children of Israel here were seeing the god of rain, if you will, not rain. And for that reason, Baal was embarrassed. He's impotent. He can't do anything. Deuteronomy chapter 11 verse 17 says, Lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you, and he shut up the heavens so that there be no rain, and the land yields no produce, and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord your God is giving you. Many of us have enjoyed over the past few weeks a lot of good rain. It's caused the crops in the fields to produce bountifully. But I want you to imagine if for three and a half years it had not rained in our area. The streams and the creeks would dry up. The crops in the fields would not grow. There would just be dust. And you see, God said to the children of Israel, If you don't do what's right, droughts are coming. When you go to Amos chapter 4, notice how God expresses this in a very eloquent language in a prophecy by Amos. Also, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. I also withheld the rain from you. When you, there were still three months to the harvest, I made it rain on one city. I withheld rain from another city. One part was rained upon, and where it did not rain, the part withered. So two or three cities wandered to another city to drink water. They were not satisfied, yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. I blasted you with blight and mildew. When your gardens increased, your vineyards, your fig trees, your olive trees, the locusts devoured them. You see, what he's trying to say is, is that there's punishment that comes from sinfulness. When Elijah prayed, Elijah was praying the will of God. God's will was that Ahab suffer. God's will was that the children of Israel suffer. God's will was that... in the gods of Baal be embarrassed. But you see, he also prayed earnestly. Literally, the text says he prayed prayer. And that's an intensified form. Whenever you want to intensify something in the Greek language, you say it twice. One of the most obvious examples is verily, verily, which means truly, Surely. So when he prayed prayer, you're saying he prayed earnestly. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It was effective. He was confident in the answer even before God had provided any visible means. I want you to turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 18 and let's look at verses 41 through 46. You may want to mark some things in this passage because I think it's some valuable information for us. We read there, or then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the abundance of rain. Now, 
I want you to pause there. There's the sound of rain. You know what most of us would think if, if the idea of the sound of rain, perhaps maybe you'd think, well, there's, I hear the thunder rolling. Or maybe in a building like we are here where you have a metal roof, you can, you can hear the, the raindrops falling. That's not the case here. He said, so Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and then he bowed down on the ground, put his face between his knees, and said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And seven times he said, Go again. Now, I remind you, He's already told Ahab to go up and to eat and to drink because there's a sound of rain. What do you see? Seven times he goes up and he looks toward the sea. Nothing there. Look with me now beginning with verse 44. Then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, There is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Cloud the size of a hand, not very large, but you better tell Ahab, hurry up. Verse 45, now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and the wind and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Well, you think about, here is Elijah praying a prayer, a fervent prayer, an effectual prayer, even before the first cloud is seen in the sky. That's confidence. That's believing in prayer. Matthew 21 verse 22 says, And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive them. The kind of confidence that Elijah had was the right kind of prayer. So he prayed according to the will of God. He prayed earnestly. He prayed effectively. Now let's talk about the prayer of Ahaziah. You'll turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 2. And while you're turning there, I'll give you a little bit of an update of what has happened. Ahab has died. He went into the battle against the Syrians with Jehoshaphat, and he was wounded. An arrow went through his armor, and he died. And Ahaziah becomes the king. But it's not long after Ahaziah becomes a king, something happens. And Ahaziah fell through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and was injured. So he sent messengers and said to them, Go and inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this injury. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise and go and meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? 
Now therefore, thus says the Lord God, <clears throat> you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah departed. And when the messengers returned to him, he said to them, Why have you come back? So they said to him, A man came up to meet us and said to us, Go up and return to the king who sent you and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Then he said to them, What kind of man it was who came up to meet you and told you these words? So they answered him, A hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist. And he said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. Now this son of Ahab fell from an upper room. And because of that he was injured. Now, <coughs> many of us find ourselves... Uh, struggling sometimes with injuries. Uh, I can't tell you how many times since I've been here people have fell off of a uh, chair or off of a ladder and they come in with a cast on their ankle or on their wrist and they say, you know, I don't know what I was doing. But I want you to imagine he is in an upper room and it talks about falling through the lattice. The lattice would have been perhaps a a barrier over the windows or perhaps over a balcony. And he falls and he injures himself. You can imagine all kinds of injuries. Maybe it was a broken bone. But it could have perhaps been some sort of internal injuries as well. He wants to know, will I survive this? But he wanted to know from the gods if he would recover. Hopefully he'd get an a correct answer from them that, yes, you'll recover, yes, you'll do well. But he sent to inquire of Beelzebub. Now, you, I'm sure, remember the Lord using a form of this in the New Testament. But this is the God of the fly. And you can say this in your mind, I don't understand all these gods. The storm god Baal, but this is the god of the fly in Ekron. And the idea is that the fly comes and takes the disease away. And you are recovered from some sort of illness. So here is an injury that's happened to Ahaziah. He wants to know, am I going to get better? And the answer is going to be no. In fact, first of all, he is rebuked. For not going to the God in Israel. You see, there is a God in Israel, but he's not going after him now. For just a moment, I want to pause here. And I want you to think about what he has done and why he has done it. Here is a man raised by Ahab who has replaced the worship of God with the worship of Baal. Here's a man now who has ascended to the throne of the king. And because he's now the king, to whom is he going to go when he has a need? He's going to go to the Baals. You know, many people don't realize the profound impact of the rearing of children. They don't realize how great of an impact what a parent does while a child is small 
will affect the decisions they will make much later in life. I've been working on sermon plans for the future and I've got an idea from Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Parents, may I kindly but yet forcefully say to you, the way you're raising your children now will determine how they will be as adults. If you're rearing your children that the church is second, third, fifth, or tenth place, when your children get old, that's exactly the way they're going to treat the church. If you tell them vacation Bible school is not important, we can go and do something else. Then when they get to be adults, the church is not going to be important to them. If you rear your children and you tell them, well, we don't have to go to church because we're on vacation. Don't be surprised if your children become adults and say, I'm on vacation all the time. Here is Ahab who's raised Ahaziah and he's not going to the God of Israel. He's going to Baal. Isaiah 8 and verse 19 says, And when they say to you, Seek those who are mediums and wizards, who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? When you look at Ahaziah, he's not seeking God, and that's the rebuke that's been given him. Is it because there's no God in Israel? Jeremiah chapter 2, beginning with verse 11, has a nation changed its gods, which are not gods? But my people have changed their glory for what does not profit. Be astonished, O heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, which can hold no water. Jeremiah was looking to the people and saying, To whom do you go? My children, the children of Israel, has changed as gods. Sometimes I wonder... The rearing in our country here, once we were known as, quote, and I put it in quotations, a Christian nation. For the most part, those who were our leaders and those who were the heads of our families were all devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. Those many pursued him in wrong ways, they still were that. But for the most part, we are now becoming a secular nation. And a nation that says it doesn't matter what God you want. We've had generations that have been raised on attend the church or synagogue of your choice. Now they will say attend the church, synagogue, or mosque of your choice. Or temple. And you see what's going on here is Ahaziah has abandoned the real God. And thus he's going to die. You'll not survive this injury. Just like your father, you've rejected God and you won't live. Let me give you a contrast to that. 
you go to 2 Kings chapter 20, you'll see another situation that is somewhat parallel, but you can see another reaction. On this occasion, we're talking about King Hezekiah. And it says, in those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Okay, now you've got a, a man, both of them facing death. Verse 2, then he turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I walked before you in truth with a loyal heart and have done what was good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And it happened before Isaiah had gone out of the middle of the court that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer, seen your tears, and I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add to your days fifteen years. And though he was told to take a lump of figs, they put it on the boil, and he recovered. What do I see about this? I see there are some people who go over here for their... Um, desire for the right answer and there are others who go to God it's a great lesson in that for just a few minutes let's take and talk about some principles in prayer prayer is not reserved just for the leaders nor just in the worship service sometimes we may have this idea that when you and I pray is when we come here and that's the only time we pray Sometimes we may pray before our meals. But are we a praying people? Are we talking with God regularly? There is no prayer superpower. This psalm, like Elijah could pray a great prayer and the rest of us can't. When you read James 5.17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. That means he's just like you and I. But we pray to a superpower, and that is God. And someone says, but I don't know how to speak to God. I I don't know how to express everything. Romans 8.26 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Oh, you mean the Spirit assists me in my praying in the sense that He can take the very groanings of my heart and express them to the Father? Yes. That's very helpful. Prayer should reflect a desire to fulfill the will of God. Here's an area where I perhaps feel that you and I fail. As you and I are going through our prayers, what does our prayers sound like? Lord, I thank you for this and this. But I'd really like for you to give me this, 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 this. Do we express in our prayers? Listen to the Lord's model prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Your kingdom come... 
Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done. That's exactly what Elijah prayed. God's will be done. You and I can look at a number of areas of life and we can ask God, these are the things that we see, but Lord, your will be done. Even Jesus prayed like that. You remember in the garden, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. We need to be thinking about what God wants done and praying that God's will will take place. Prayer should not be for selfishness. That is so I can have everything that I can dream up and desire. Somehow we've got this idea that I'm entitled to whatever I want and all I have to do is ask God and He'll give it to me. James chapter 4, 2 and 3 says, You lust and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain, you fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. Then verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. You ask incorrectly. That you may spend it on your pleasures. In Mark 11 verse 25, and when you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven also may forgive your trespasses. You see, instead of us thinking about ourselves only, we need to think about, do I need to forgive this person? Does that person need my forgiveness? Yes. Pray that. Prayer should not be about self-righteousness either. One is selfishness, the other is self-righteousness. In Luke 18, verse 9, you have two men going up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And he says, this is one who looked at himself as being righteous and despised others. And he says, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat himself on the breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said you don't pray with that self-righteous attitude. Matthew 6 and verse 5. When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Prayer should be confident. That is, you and I, when we pray, we ought to believe that God's going to answer our prayers, that He can answer our prayers. Going back to 1 John 5, verse 14. We're going to add verse 15 with it this time. Now this is the confidence that we have in Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we will have the petitions which we've asked of Him. James 1, 6 says, 
Ask in faith with no doubting. You don't doubt God. You don't doubt His ability. You don't doubt His love. But God answers prayers. He answered the prayer of Elijah. Sometimes the answer that God provides is an unequivocal no. Just like your parents, you go and you say, I want something, and they look at you and they say, no. God sometimes says that. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 9, Paul spoke about this messenger of Satan that was given to buffet him. And he said, I asked the Lord three times that it might depart from me, verse 8. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul, this is something you need. I'm not taking it away from you. Sometimes the answer is yes. A confident yes. You know, I like reading the what we sometimes refer to as the prison epistles, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Paul is confident that he's going to be released and that he's got more work to do. Philemon verse 22 says, But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Paul said, I, I'm planning on coming. As soon as they release me, go ahead and prepare the room for me. Makes me think of what Elijah said. Go up and look. Oh, there's that little cloud the size of my hand. He, he was confident before he ever prayed the prayer. God sometimes says, wait. And that's some of the hardest things. Sometimes you, you just don't hear a no as a wait. Because when we're praying intently, earnestly, we're wanting the answer. Sometimes you have to go through some difficulties. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 9, And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and the testimony which they held. And they cried out with a voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And his answer is basically, you've got to wait a little while till the full number of those has been fulfilled. Yes, no, and wait a while. But then there's some prayers that God doesn't answer. In fact, He won't listen to them. In Psalm 66 and verse 18, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Isaiah 55 verse 6, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Jeremiah 11 and verse 14. So do not pray for this people or lift up cry or prayer for them. For I will not hear them in the time that they cry out to me because of their trouble. God said, I just don't listen to them. That has some strong implications for us. The prayers figure prominently into the account of the life of Elijah. He was a praying man. He was a man who dealt with prayer of others like Ahaziah. His prayers were effective because of 
what he prayed for, and how he prayed. What about your prayers? Is God listening to you? Is God listening to me? I think you know the principles that are involved now. One of the last things I want to point out is, what about prayer and salvation? Can I just on my own somewhere out say, God save me from my sins. And that will take care of me and what's sometimes referred to as the sinner's prayer. Will that work? In Acts chapter 9 and verse 11, the Lord told Ananias to arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas. For one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he's praying. He's calling out, God, I'm sorry for persecuting the church. I'm sorry for what I've done. Listen to the response of Ananias to Saul when he finds him in Acts 22, verse 16. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. You think about that. Do you need to be baptized this morning? Everything is ready for you. It's your choice. If you believe and you're willing to repent of your sins, confess your faith in Him, we want to encourage you to come forward this morning. You can take a seat on the front pew up here and we'll baptize you this morning. Are you a Christian? Struggling because you have not been talking to God. You need to get on a right speaking relationship with God and get back to praying with Him on a regular basis. If you need to respond in any way, would you come as together we stand and sing?